electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. The big story today absolutely is inflation. The CPI rising 7% compared to last year. The biggest jump in 40 years. But like Scott just said, markets aren't selling off. Bond yields are lower. We're going to look at what the real story here is. And when it comes to EVs, one of the biggest challenges is making the cars as cheaply as you can make traditional ones. Can the EV makers get costs down enough to please customers and bankers? Also in rapid fire, travel troubles, payment problems, and the Crocs craze with some pretty amazing stats. But we begin with the markets and that 40-year high in inflation. Take a look over here. You'll see what I'm talking about with the 10-year. The yield not up today on that big print. It's lower We're down to 1.71%. We were higher before the print came out. So even though we finally got a seven handle for CPI, we are not seeing an outsized reaction in the bond market. Let's check in with more on the market reaction. Bob Pisani joining us now. Bob? And 7% year-over-year inflation is ridiculous and concerning, but it is not above the expectations. And I think that's one reason the market rallied and one reason the yields are lower. We've moved 80 points on the S&P since yesterday's Powell's testimony, that's quite a move. Let me show you the sectors here because tech stocks have rallied in that interval. Bank stocks are finally starting to slow down a little bit. Maybe that's uh, those yields going down that did it. Energy's been on a tear. It's finally slowing down a little compared to the rest of the market. And most of the time uh, in the last two days, uh, consumer staples, utilities, more defensive stocks have lagged a little bit. Let me show you some of the tech names because there's a bifurcation today. The mega cap generally is doing better. Apple and Microsoft, for example, generally outperforming. But once again, a lot of the speculative tech stuff, Kathy Wood's ARC Fund, uh, Zoom Video, uh, Twilio, Roku, Teladoc, you know the list. Those are all trading the downside. So split in the technology group today. Energy stocks finally taking a breather. We've got, of course, oil at $82 essentially, but energy's been on its hair. Look at this. This is the XLE, the energy ETF. It's back to where it was pre-COVID. And I mean two years ago, essentially. That is complete round trip, quite a move there for the energy market. So the narrative for the market is still intact. There's one little wild card we can't quite figure out yet. It's pretty simple. Uh, The economy and the consumer is strong. Earnings and margins are strong. That's why the market is only 2% off the highs. Omicron is not derailing the recovery. The wild card is inflation in the Fed. That's what everybody's trying to figure out. And Kelly, when you look at what's going to work when rates go up here, that's the issue. This is the dilemma for equities right now. What do you do with tech and what works when rates rise? I, I mean, nobody wants bond funds. They're selling them like crazy right now in the ETF world. People are looking at things like senior loan ETFs. The Blackstone's got one, the SRLM. These have floating rate high yield bank loans. And there's a little bit of safety here uh, because they adjust every few months. So there is some safety. But, you know, Kelly, you're still going way out on the risk curve here. You're still dealing with high yield stuff. Market goes down. Economy goes down. The high yield will suffer. You know, it's a tough trade off right now. There is you're going to see huge record sales of bond ETFs this week, because as far as I can see, everybody can't figure out why they want to hold anything. Government, government bonds, corporate bonds right now. I'm seeing sales right across the board. All right, Bob, we appreciate it. Bob Bassani. 
Stay in the stock market. There is no alternative. That was the message from Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel last hour. He said dividend stocks are one place to look for inflation protection. Where else should investors be looking and what stock should be avoided? Joining me now is Dan Genter, the CEO of RNC Genter Capital Management. Dan, it's good to have you here today. This is music to your ears, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, Kelly. You know, I've been I've been singing this song for quite a while. And I think uh, the fact that it was going to come to fruition was just obvious, frankly, because it, it is the only game in town. I mean, you're, we, we manage a lot of bonds, so I like bonds. But the reality is uh, the math is what it is, and it's going to be very difficult for people to achieve a significant you know, long-term uh, outperformance, if you will, or even keep pace in bonds. And the uh, reality is is that you know the high-dividend stocks that are generating you cash flow, cash flow that that max is going to get taxed at 20% and 15 probably for most people, and then get you a little growth, it's going to be one of the few games in town, if not the only game in town, that also gives you some liquidity so your capital is not committed for possibly years at a time. One more question to you, Dan, which is we are not seeing a lot of movement. If anything, yields are falling in the 10-year today. Do you want to just comment on that? Because people are buying you know, government bonds for some safety here it has not exploded to the upside. What would you tell people who aren't so sure that we're going to see runaway rates this year? Well, I don't think that you're going to see runaway rates. I think the, the Fed is going to be very calculated. They're going to be very sanguine. Uh, they've been true to their word that they're going to look at the data and interpret the data. And when they're telling us they're likely to have three rate increases, I think the outside chances, maybe you have four. But we've got to consider that that's a 100 basis points increase from where we are now. So even if you go from 25 basis points to 125 basis points, the economy is, is not going to come to a halt and crash. I mean, when, when I started in this business, shortly thereafter, you know, the prime rate went to 21.5%. And we, it was uncomfortable, but we all didn't die. So I think people are not going to go to all equities. It's, they've seen certainly it's a dangerous world out there. Uh, they're, they're not going to put you know, everything into the fire. But they're going to reduce what they have in bonds and new money are going to go probably in equity. Yeah, Dan, I'm I'm going to leave it there and and pivot the discussion. I really appreciate you joining me today, Dan Genter. Cole Smead is here now. He's president and portfolio manager at Smead Capital Management. Cole, appreciate you joining us by phone here today. You have some specific tactical ideas for people who want to know which stocks uh, to be exposed to and which to avoid. Why stick with housing? Definitely, it sounds like you guys are sticking with energy, you know, Tactically speaking, where do you think investors need to go here? Well, to, to follow your, your prior guest, and in fact, what Jamie Dimon said on your guys' programming, the economy is just so strong right now. The personal savings rates, the cash, the debt service ratios are so impressive. And housing is, has just a very subdued view of, of that consumer. Most investors think housing has found some near-term top that we might not see for a while. And the reality is, as you know, Kelly, I mean, this is a drum we've been beating for years, and people have doubted it. It's been a great place to make money. And um, the, the balance sheets of these businesses have just no, never been set up so well to produce cash and return that back at, to shareholders at the end of the day. So you guys think the home builders still have room to run? And I should mention, by the way, Dan's uh, favorite, some of those names are names like Bristol Myers, CVS Health. Philip 66. So, Cole, I know you guys like the, the home builders, broadly speaking, I believe. What about on the energy piece of it? Yeah, well, just to follow up on that, we own Lenar and VR and VR Hort in the, in the home building space. But in the energy business, you, you have this incredible scarcity where because of bad capital structures or because of how much investors got punished, there's a scarcity of capital willing to poke new holes in the ground. 
And what that means is for people that have the balance sheet structure and the strength, like the continental resources of the world, like the occidentals of the world, um, there's just great money to be made. And the interesting part, Kelly, is if you look at the spring of 20, the things investors should have been buying were the most beat-up balance sheets and stock prices that were going to survive. And that has actually been the best money made in the energy space. And that's what no one wanted to touch in yeah. spring of 20. And that's that's how it usually works. So I know on the auto side, it sort of also fits with how you guys are seeing the world in terms of both demand and also some pricing protection. Where in the auto space, though, would you be? These are not conventional names, I don't think. Yeah, so so uh, we're, we, we own the autos in a couple ways. Uh, we own, obviously, some banks that are making auto loans particularly like a name like Credit Acceptance Corporation on the subprime side. Um, we're, we're launching a new fund today, uh, and what we're getting out there is we're getting at the automakers directly because there's actually automakers outside the United States that have produced wealth. I know that's shocking to say, but it's actually happened in long-term returns. So um, we own Porsche, we own Volkswagen, and we own BMW. We own most of our capital in that space in the first two, and the brands that we get out of those are incredible, and this is all going on at a time, Kelly, when, I mean, here I am in Phoenix. We have all kinds of electric auto manufacturers coming to our town, and they are Johnny-come-latelys, and the question is, will they survive? Mm. It's funny you say that because we're going to get into that in the next segment. In fact, Cole Smead with some international auto names and a lot of plays here in the U.S. as well. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Joining me from Speed Capital Management. We have a news alert out of the bond market as well. Busy here to start the hour. We just had the first 10-year note auction of the year. Extremely relevant to this whole discussion and to the whole markets. Rick, we were looking pretty strong going into it. What just happened? Uh, Once again, a counterintuitive response. Yes, I fully expect... Uh, that the auction would represent what we're seeing in the marketplace, which would mean investors should have stepped up because yields are going down. The inflation data was hot, but not necessarily surprising. But that's not the way it turned out. I give the auction a Charlie minus, a C minus, because demand was not good. Investors did not step up. So we had 36 billion of reopened tenures, the first tenure auction of the year, and the yield 1.723. Definitely above where the when issued market was trading, so it tailed a bit. And all the metrics were roughly in line with 10 auction average. So nothing spectacular, C-. minus. But considering that we are making the low yields of the year today, one would suspect that we would have seen a better interest in the auction. I think investors are scratching their heads a bit, as many are. But sometimes it, it's easier to just look at the landscape, and today... To me, the dollar index is what jumps out, okay? The euro currency's hot, hot, hot. Investors think if Omicron runs around the world and wreaks its damage and maybe disappears quickly, there may be better investment opportunities in Europe, and their currency's reflecting that. But I also think the reason the dollar is moving lower is because interest rates may not be moving up as aggressively. And if that's confusing... Everybody should read the Wall Street Journal article today that talks about the Volcker years when rates were way too high, considering how he was attacking inflation by raising rates aggressively. This is the mere image of those times. And sometimes the markets don't make sense, but they are what they are. 
<laughs> that chart really sums it up, uh, that big drop in the dollar that we're watching play out here below 95. Rick, really appreciate it as always. Rick Santelli. Coming up, the high cost of making EVs. My next guest is if automakers don't find a way to bring down costs, they could face a credit crunch. We'll look at what makes it so expensive and who that could impact the most. Plus, higher mortgage rates. There's one under-the-radar housing stock that could be well-positioned to benefit the name and the reason why ahead. And take a quick look at the Dow heat map as we head to break. Salesforce, Microsoft, Nike leading the index, while Goldman and J&J are weighing on it. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Pretty much every single automaker is ramping up production for electric vehicles. Now, the question is, will there be enough batteries and materials to meet demand? Phil Lebeau spoke with the head of one company working on a solution, and he's also one of the biggest names in the EV space. Phil? Kelly, we're talking about J.B. Straubel, who was a founder of Tesla and for the last four years has been running his own company called Redwood Materials. Left Tesla in 2019 as the chief technology officer. But now at Redwood, this is a company that recycles batteries, specifically lithium-ion batteries, and they are ramping up production. Today we talked with him outside a facility that the company is building next to the Panasonic battery plant in Sparks, Nevada. This will be a $1 billion plant. It will produce anode copper copper foil, which is a critical component in lithium-ion battery cells. The idea, supply enough of that copper foil to uh, go into one million electric vehicles. And here's the reason why. Projections on EV sales continue to go up. As you see automakers saying, we're not doing enough right now. It's about 4.5% of the market. Look at where it's expected to be just in the U.S. by 2025, up to 12.5%. And J.B. Straubel says that may be a little bit low. I mean, if you look at how fast adoption is growing in, in parts of, of Europe and other you know, parts of the world, uh, I think you know, it, it points a path to you know, potentially even higher percentages than that by, by mid-decade. Um, and, uh, and, th- and this is catching people a bit off guard. You know, it, it's a, a really you know, strong shift all the way from you know, internal combustion sales dropping to EV sales increasing by you know, almost 100% in different regions. 
take a look at the EV stocks. The enthusiasm behind electric vehicles is one, Kelly, we've talked about for some time, and it goes well beyond these automakers that we're showing you here. It's all of the automakers, not just the those who are dedicated strictly to electric vehicles, but the entire industry. It is a conversion that is going on right now, and J.B. Strubble says... If the industry does not ramp up production of critical components and work on getting the supply chain out of primarily Asia and expanding it here in the United States, he believes we're going to see some supply shortages. Yeah, and Straubel, I think, was the one who gave Musk himself the idea for Tesla, if uh, if I have my history correct. But anyway, regardless, he's a, he's a major player here. And Phil, stay right there because we want to talk more about these production issues. While batteries are one key driver of EV production costs, my next guest says if automakers don't find a way to bring costs down, generally speaking, it could lead to cash flow issues and impact their credit ratings. Let's bring in Stephen Brown. He's a senior director and lead analyst for the North American automotive sector at Fitch Ratings. Stephen, such an important point that people are, are kind of starting to realize. Can you start with what this means for the legacy automakers who are making this uh, pivot internally? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we're seeing clearly a lot of investment going into EVs right now. Um, you know, estimates of a half a trillion dollars over the next four or five years. But I think sometimes what gets lost in this conversation is the fact that, you know, right now, at least, um, you know, margins on EVs are lower than on traditional internal combustion engine vehicles. And if we don't see those margins start to improve, you know, as we see the industry trying to you know, hit some of the targets that have been laid out there uh, over the next, call it eight to 10 years, our concern is that, you know, profitability will be hit and that could ultimately have a negative impact on the company's credit profiles. Would that include companies like Ford and GM because they, you know, this is going to negatively impact their credit profiles or are they going to benefit from their deeper pockets? Well, certainly the deeper pockets can help, but, you know, they can only help so far. And, and our concern is that, you know, if we do see margins come down through that period, um, you know, ultimately, you know, if, if it leads to negative free cash flow or weaker free cash flow, uh, companies might need to start to augment that with, um, you know, additional debt, which could actually raise debt levels. And so that's something that, that we're watching and, and want to make sure investors are aware of. Great point. And Phil, obviously, for the smaller startups, a huge question they have to face in terms of just proving that they can do this at scale. Right. And it takes time. Scale is the key here, Kelly, and and I'd love to get Stephen's perspective on this. Stephen, when you look at the big costs that are within the developing and building electric vehicles, so much focus on the battery pack and the battery cells, and we know the cost is coming down. Is it coming down fast enough in terms of when you look at it and you say, yeah, I see these guys getting to the point where this is providing the margin growth that they're hoping to get, or are you still worried that the the cost is, is not coming down fast enough? Well, certainly scale helps, and, and that's definitely something that's helped the, uh, the industry over the last, you know, five to ten years. Uh, but I think one of the concerns that we have now, though, is with such a high level of uh, battery demand expected, you know, over the next decade or so, um, you know, the raw materials that go into those batteries are potentially going to be in short supply. And so we'll have to see if that in some ways maybe puts a floor under just how low, um, you know, battery costs can get uh, over the next, um, you know, five to ten years. Stephen, what would you say about Tesla, which has at least had 10 years to work on this with a host of sort of original and innovative uh, production ideas they're trying to use to make this more doable? Well, Tesla certainly um, showed the world that there can be, you know, a market for, um, you know, electric vehicles on large scale. And it's really driven a lot of what we've seen, I think, throughout the global industry, you know, during this transition period. 
Uh, that being said, though, um, you know, if you think about Tesla, really, there's still sort of luxury vehicles, right? The cheapest Tesla that you can buy is the Model 3, and it's still north of $40,000. As we think about, you know, other manufacturers, you know, trying to produce cars at scale at lower price points, again, you know, if a battery pack costs, say, $10,000, uh, that could certainly be, um, you know, a concern for margins if you're trying to produce a car that's, say, sub $30,000. Yeah, I think their Model 3 is now 45 after the price hikes in just the, mm -hmm. the past few months alone. Stephen, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Stephen Brown, Philibo, thank you very much for bringing us that interview and discussion. We appreciate it. Coming up, PayPal lower on a downgrade and a big price target cut over at Jefferies. A look at its latest struggles ahead. Plus, one analyst calling this retail stock the most impressive consumer growth story for several more years. It's up 70% over the past year. We'll reveal the name coming up. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome back, everybody. The Nasdaq continuing its rebound, a modest gain today of about 55 points. The S&P is up 11. The Dow's up 37 at the moment, and the 10-year remains at a low ebb. Meantime, Bitcoin, the crypto, staging a rebound after breaking below 40,000 earlier this week. Take a look at the crypto charts behind me here. Bitcoin up 2%, Ether up 4%, along with Grayscale and the ProShares Bitcoin ETFs, even Coinbase fractionally higher. And GameStop lower after Jefferies, one of the only, only analysts that still covers the stock, cut its price target on worries that its retail investors will grow restless. Its shares are on pace for their eighth straight week of declines, now the longest losing streak ever. For more on the call, head to cnbc.com slash pro. GME down about 1% today. And Biogen falling to its lowest level in two and a half years. Medicare saying it'll limit coverage of that Alzheimer's drug only to patients willing to enroll in qualifying clinical trials. And Biogen's not the only healthcare laggard today, although it's down 7%. We also see Quest down 6%, Align down 3.5%, Lilly and LabCorp also down 2 to 3%. And with rapid demand for COVID tests persisting, the CEO of LabCorp will join Closing Bell today at 4 p.m for an exclusive interview. Don't miss it. Now to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Kelly. And here's what's happening at this hour. A Texas man has become the first to be charged under new U.S. anti-doping laws governing international sports competition. Prosecutors say that Eric Lira distributed performance-enhancing drugs to athletes competing in last year's Tokyo Olympics. The ex-girlfriend of Representative Matt Gates has testified to a grand jury in a sex trafficking probe of the congressman. 
NBC News has learned that the ex-girlfriend is seeking immunity from obstruction of justice charges in return for testifying against Gates. Gates, meantime, has denied any wrongdoing. And in Rome, a record shop got a surprise papal visit. Pope Francis was caught on camera leaving the store with the CD that he had been given. The Pope was a frequent customer of the shop when he was a cardinal, and he had promised the store's owners a visit when he met them in the Vatican. And on the news tonight, the White House is sending millions of COVID tests to schools. But is this the best way to keep classrooms open? Tune in tonight at 7 Eastern. Kelly? All right, Rahel, thank you. Still ahead here, impressive growth, a lack of catalysts, and spending on cruises is sinking. It's all coming up in rapid fire right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Let's get you caught up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It's time for Rapid Fire and here to break down the headlines and maybe give us some trades. Danielle Shea is director of operations at Simpler Trading. Chris Crisanti is chief equity strategist at MAI Capital Management. And our own Bob Bassani joins us to round things out today. And first up, let's talk about the cruise stocks because I'm in uniform. Uh, They're feeling the return to normal confusion. The big three all slightly higher today and higher about five to 10 percent so far this year, despite multiple outbreaks aboard vessels triggering the CDC to warn against cruising regardless of vaccination status. And Bank of America noting today their card data shows a big decline in cruise spending at the end of last year with a 40 percent drop in December versus 2019. So, Danielle, is that going to remain a headwind or does it leave them plenty of room to grow? I do believe it's going to remain a headwind. I mean, if you look at the cruise liners right now, first of all, yes, people are going back on cruises. But the fact of the matter is, is we're seeing breakouts on those cruise ships. People are being forced to quarantine. You're having ships that aren't able to dock. All of these things are going to make other people not want to cruise. And then when you look at the technicals, you have quite a bit of overhead resistance. While the cruise liners have traded higher, they've traded directly into key resistance levels that for me look like great places to come in and short these stocks. Sure, they will rally on any positive news, but in the long term, they're just not looking good right now. Let me add this coda. I don't know if we've put up the disclosure yet, but you said, You don't personally own any cruise liners at all, but your husband does because he's been trying to convince you that the stocks are going to do better. So if if we see on the disclosures that you own it, it's it's him, not you. So I love the marital split over this. Yes, we're having a little bit of a competition and he's also working on trying to get me back on the cruise liners and... One of the cruise liners, I can't remember, I think it's Caribbean. If you own 100 shares, you get onboard credit. So you see they actually are convincing millennials to buy their shares because (laughs) of this ridiculous idea. Wow. Okay, Chris, are you among those who are buying up, you know, the cruise lines for for some perks on board? Well, it's good to see you again, Kelly. Um, I have to say I'm more with Danielle's husband than with Danielle today. I, I think that for the long term, uh, they seem well positioned to me. I, I would certainly look through the, the credit card data that uh, Bank of America looked at today. And I would certainly also look through the Omicron problems, which are, are serious, but I think relatively short lived. So the one proviso I would have, and this is important for, for, for your viewers, which is be careful because they look like they're down by 70, 80 percent from pre-pandemic stock levels, but they've issued so much new stock and so much debt that the actual enterprise values of these companies are much higher than you might think. So, So in other words, they're not quite the value you think, but I still think they'd be a nice place to invest over the next year. Bob, where do you fall? 
Well, look, um, these, these companies are entirely trading on what's going to happen in the second half of the year. Uh, so look at, I don't know, Carnival, for example. They, they used to do 16 to $20 billion in, in revenues. They cratered in 2020 and 2021. It went down to $5 billion or something like that. They're expecting, the analysts are expecting them to do close to $20 billion this year. It's all in the second half of the year. They're going to go back to 2018 all of a sudden. You know what the P.E. is? There isn't any because they're going to lose money for a third year in a row. They're trading on 2023 estimates about 12 times forward earnings. You know what it used to trade at? 12 times forward earnings. My point is the price is way down, but the earnings are way down, even the expectations for 2023. So I, I don't assign ratings on any of this, but look what the market's telling you. It's, yeah. it's telling you right now that they're not expecting a lot of upside. All right, we'll leave it there. Let's talk some fintech where the fallout continues for PayPal, sinking on a downgrade to Je- Jeffries to hold from buy and a price target to 200 bucks a share. Now, the shares are around 190. Uh, actually, they're around 188 right now, and they're down 40% from their 52-week high. The Jeffries analysts admit that their downgrade of a stock so far off its highs is, quote, poor optics, but they see worsening e-commerce trends, decreasing transaction sizes, and difficult comps ahead for PayPal. This has been a really tough story, Chris. Since last year, they tried to go after Pinterest. That fell through. Is this a name you would want to own? I I think so, Kelly. You know, Mm. I I love the folks that are bulls at 300 that throw in the towel at, at 190. So you've got a lot of moving parts here. And, and I read his note, and it's a perfectly reasonable note. He's, he's a good analyst. Um, but where I disagree with him is he makes a big point of e-commerce market share you know, uh, is, is not going to be as strong as we think. And I strongly disagree, especially as we invest over the longer term. I still see e-commerce taking more and more share from, from uh, you know, from uh, brick and mortar. So, But the other thing he mentions a lot is, is the transaction size, which is going down, is a negative. I think that's already in the numbers and certainly in a stock that's down 40%. And fourth, excuse me, third, we're really excited about pay with Venmo which is, a, is obviously a PayPal product that's going on Amazon, that's going on several other retailers. And, and they will find a way to monetize Venmo. And just about everybody and their uncle uses Venmo. So we're excited about that. I had a feeling you might like this one after those declines. But I also have a feeling Danielle is not going to. What do you say, Shay? You know what's funny is I normally hate stocks like this that have sold off the highs. They're not showing relative strength, but I actually do like PayPal here, but Mm. it has to hold. Yes, it has to hold 175, though, because if it does not hold 175, we we don't have any meaningful support until around 125. I, I like PayPal for a variety of reasons. Number one, I think that it got bludgeoned unnecessarily on the last two quarters earnings reports. Yes, it's done with eBay, but I think that the Amazon partnership is significantly better for PayPal um, than eBay was going to be. And and eBay only made up 4% of their revenue anyways. I think that people aren't looking forward at what the Venmo partnership is going to do with Amazon. I think it's going to be huge. Um, and millennials love it. So I am long and I'm looking for places to add more shares. I don't think that it's going to trade higher unless we get some kind of catalyst, perhaps earnings where, you know, these types of ideas are coming through. The Amazon partnership's working really well. Uh, But I do like this place to add in shares, but be careful if it drops 170. Right. Very, very interesting. And we're still 13 bucks above that level. All right. So what's the Bob Bassani breakdown here? 
Well, you know, not to be the curmudgeon here, but at least this, this analyst admitted that he downgrades the stock 40 percent off of the highs. You know, there's like 40 analysts that cover PayPal. It's hugely covered on the street. Eighty percent have buy recommendations. This is the old Wall Street merry-go-round. we got to buy going up. we got to buy going down. It doesn't really matter that much. The only thing I'd say about PayPal, at least it's more reasonably priced at at 40 percent off. It used to trade at a 50 times forward multiple. Now it's trading at, I don't know, 35 times. So at least it's a little more attractive on a P.E. base. But, but what's going to make the P.E. expand this year? I don't know. I, I do agree. This Venmo thing with Amazon, it's interesting. Here's my question. What's the margin going to be on that? What do you think? What kind of deal you think Amazon is going to drive with Venmo on that? Yes, on the surface. OK, it sounds like a, a lot of money is going to move around. But how much is going to actually stay in PayPal's pocket after the deal is what I'd like to know. Very good point. And maybe we can try to find out. Again, like you said, Bob, trading around a 38 P.E. still even after those declines. And we'll leave that one there. Let's now talk about some Crocs because this has gone from a flash in the pan to a repeat winner. Piper Sandler today is calling Crocs its top idea for the second straight year and bumped up its price target again. They're saying Crocs is going to be, quote, one of the most impressive consumer growth stories for several years to come. The CEO of Crocs spoke about closing uh, consumer demand on Closing Bell yesterday. Listen. We're seeing very strong demand for the brand. We saw that all through the year, 67% growth for the full year is obviously, you know, a huge number. And as we look forward into 22, we're also really excited about both the growth prospects of Crocs. We're, we're guiding to 20 plus percent growth rate in 22. And then obviously we've recently made an acquisition of, of Hey Dude. And uh, we're super excited about that too. <laughs> I love seeing that banner Crocs CEO on Hey Dude acquisition. The shares are up 74% over the past year and 6% today. All right, we have to go sort of quickly here. Bob Bassani, what do you say? By the way, it's market cap now, $8 billion. It's bigger than Gap. You know, I'm going to surprise you and say, first off, there's no Crocs in my closet. With that understanding, I really have a grudging respect for this company. I really do. I mean, look, you can easily say, oh, it's a work from home thing. But their earnings like doubled last year. And here's what's amazing. The P.E. multiple went down because the earnings went up so much. When did that happen last? The company had huge earnings. The P.E. actually goes down. So, you know, on a valuation basis, this company's just looking terrific overall wow. and their earnings are expected to grow 25 percent in 2022 it's this is this company is very impressive it's forward pe is under 15 chris what do you think yeah. Well, I, I've got the ace in the hole here, Kelly, because I talked to my, my regional experts, which are my two daughters who are at home today, and, and they both tell me, I don't get it, but Crocs are a huge deal. And I say, but they don't look cool. And they say, Dad, they're cool because they're not cool. And, and they're like record players, you know. So that uh, it's, it's resonating with a certain group. It's strong. I think it has staying power. I just wouldn't stay at the party all that long because clearly trends change, and this is clearly a trend. They so. are great. Uh, like they, it for the short term. They're great for toddlers, Danielle. <laughs> really easy to get on and off those uh, feet. Good sandals. Uh, yes, they are. And, you know, I completely agree that they've really taken off of the younger generation, which is exactly what they needed to increase their earnings. But you know what I really like it for right here? Uh, Crocs, for me, it's entering what I like to call the hot zone. This is the 21 bar time frame pre-earnings in which stocks that have been doing really well in earnings end up rallying into that earnings report. 
For me, that's one of my favorite times to trade. Crocs, over the course of the last eight quarters, it's traded on average about 15% higher within that time frame. Right now, it's holding support. It's breaking out to the upside. I like it right here for a buy going into earnings, and I'm going to try to trade it up into about 150, 160. Interesting. Now I want to get all the other names you're watching in this, this window that you mentioned. Guys, thank you so much for all your time and ideas today. Danielle okay. Shea, Chris Crisanti, and our Bob Pisani. Still ahead, despite the hot housing market. This derivative play has fallen 4% since going public at the end of 2020. But one analyst says it's time to buy the dip. The stock and the man behind the call next. A sign home buyers are trying to beat more increases that could be down the pike. One company that could be well positioned for this winter warm up and home buying is Porch Group. At least according to my next guest, joining me is Berenberg analyst Justin Ages. Justin, tell me, what does Porch Group do and why initiate with a buy rating and 60% upside today? Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Um, listen, I think the market misunderstands uh, Porch's business model, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a great play on the housing market. We see them making their revenue in really three avenues. First is SaaS revenue. They offer software platforms to home service verticals like home inspectors, mortgage companies, moving companies. And then those companies can pay a SaaS fee. Now, the really key and interesting part that Porsche does is that if that home inspection company wants to receive the software platform for free, they can then provide access to that customer who requested the inspection. And then Porsche will reach out to that customer with a moving concierge service and offer access to end service providers. So let's say the customer is moving and they need home security or they need TV and internet or they need an insurance uh, policy on their new home. They'll present a list of options. And once a customer chooses one of those options, Porch will get paid for that referral. So it's really win, win, win. The customer wins because they get ease of access on their move. The end service provider wins. And this is really the key differentiator because they get early access. So Porch is offering them access to high intent customers six weeks prior to when they would normally. And then Porch wins, obviously, because they're collecting uh, a fee from, from providing that customer. It's fascinating. I have to say, I'm surprised it works because I, I'm thinking about my own moves and often an email like that, I would usually just ignore or maybe I get, you know, word of mouth referral uh, business or I'm just Google. Like, I'm surprised that it's as effective as you say it is. Yeah, you know, that was my initial reaction, but but people like it. And if you think about the number of people that are moving each year, you know, there's this large opportunity. And if someone can say, hey, let me make this moving process easy for you, then it's going to be worth the wait. So it's, it's not like a cold call, blind email, the home inspector or that title and settlement uh, is going to say, hey, would you like help with your move? You know, we have this opportunity for you. You say they deserve a higher multiple. What is the multiple right now? Uh, currently, it's trading on an EV to 2022 sales, currently trading around 4.3, 4.5. You know, but, but given this, this misunderstood business model, given kind of our growth expectations, we think it should be trading around, you know, five times uh, EV to sales. Are they profitable? Uh, they are not uh, profitable yet. But if you look at their, you know, progression, you can see, listen, they're investing a lot in the business. So, gross margin is low. And if they take their foot off kind of the investments, they can 
you know, pop up gross profit, they can pop up EBITDA. So that's not a real, uh, you know, concern uh, where they are kind of in their growth cycle just yet. And real quickly, are they an acquisition target? But uh, I can't imagine by who, but could that, do you see that being where the story ends? Uh, you know, uh, we haven't really thought that much about them being an acquisition target. They're much more in the acquiring mode. Mm. You know, they've acquired uh, a big insurance company that's expected to close in, in mid-2022 for to give them access to the California market. So I think that's more where their M&A focus is. That is fascinating. Justin, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you. Justin ages again a $21 price target for Porch and under-the-radar housing play. Coming up, Congress unveiling wide-ranging new sanctions against Russia after this morning's hours-long NATO meeting. We have the details and the industries affected next. Welcome back. Following this developing story, the U.S. taking new steps in the escalating tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Kayla Tausche is here now with the latest. Kayla? Well, Kelly, after talks at NATO for the first time in three years, Russia gave some signals it will remain at the table, which is a good sign as Western allies are trying to stave off a further invasion of Ukraine. Today, the top American diplomat in those talks said Russia's claim about its own worries about its security are perplexing given its size and nuclear capability and live military exercises conducted just today, but that it remains unclear whether Russia will in fact back down. Russia, most of all, will have to decide whether they really are about security, in which case they should engage, or whether this was all a pretext. And they may not even know yet. In the meantime, the White House and Senate Democrats have crafted a package of crippling sanctions that President Biden could trigger if he sees evidence of Russian escalation. The bill unveiled today would levy sanctions on President Putin and his top deputies, as well as major Russian financial institutions. It would also prohibit activity on the SWIFT platform, as well as sovereign debt transactions, and explore further action in the energy industry. The Biden administration has said the actions taken in 2014 were far from severe enough, and now they're focused on keeping history from repeating itself. Kelly? Very interesting, Kayla. A lot of people wonder if those sanctions would end up just pushing Russia further you know, into China's orbit or something like that. Who knows how exactly it would play out. But timeline wise, what should we expect here in terms of Russia? As you said, they had live uh, exercises today. When might it become apparent which outcome they're pursuing here? Well, Kelly, interestingly, in 2014, Russia's annexation of Crimea took place immediately following the Sochi Winter Olympics. And with the Beijing Winter Olympics beginning in just a few weeks and Russian athletes normally performing very well in these events, experts say President Putin could wait until afterwards so as not to be a distraction. But those same experts say that if he does choose to invade, that the deadline to do so would probably be before the springtime when some of that ground in Ukraine will thaw and become very muddy, making an invasion difficult, of course, from the U.S. standpoint. Kelly, they hope the invasion would not happen at all. Absolutely. Kayla, thank you very much. Our Kayla Tausche in D.C. Up next, remember those robots Domino's started testing for delivery last year? The company behind them just unveiled their latest model. We'll get a look at it and talk to the CEO of Neuro next.
Autonomous vehicle startup Neuro unveiling its latest and greatest delivery bot. The third generation Neuro has twice the cargo room and even more safety features than its predecessors, like external airbags. And Neuro already has some big partnerships with the likes of Domino's, 7-Eleven, and Kroger. Joining me now is Dave Ferguson. He is the president and co-founder of Neuro. Dave, it's great to have you here. When am I going to see these things in the real world? Well, you know, Kelly, thank, thank you for having us. We're, we're really excited about this announcement today because this is taking us a big step closer to when you and, and we hope everyone across the country will, will see these vehicles. One of the challenges that, that we have uh, in the space is we, we want to make sure that we're building something that we can get out to the entire country. And part of, part of what we have to do there is to build a vehicle that we can scale uh, in order to fulfill that service. And really, this latest vehicle uh, is, is our answer to that. So would you say we're now kind of ready for prime time or is the fourth or fifth or, or beyond generation likely? And why do we need a one size fits all kind of bot? I could see why each client might have slightly different needs. Yeah, great question. And in fact, it's in fact a, bit, a key part of the design that went into this, this latest generation vehicle for us. Uh, we hope that we don't need a fourth or fifth. Uh, this is the world's first automotive grade uh, zero occupant vehicle. And so we do intend to scale this vehicle to service all of the different applications that, that could be needed. One of the key differentiators for this vehicle is that the two compartments that you showed earlier are very, very flexible so that we can configure them for specific partners to be ideal for their application. So for instance, we can have heated areas for hot Domino's pizzas in addition to having cooled areas for the drinks that go along with the Domino's order. Mm. We can also then configure the compartments separately for groceries, for instance. The other thing I wonder about when I look at this vehicle is, am I going to see it literally on the roads by itself? Or is this meant to be some kind of partner bot? Like you can park a a vehicle somewhere and this thing just kind of goes down a sidewalk or, or something like that. So this vehicle will travel on roads uh, and it is intended to replace the trips that you personally take to your local businesses. In the US, we take almost 100 billion such trips, so personal vehicles driving to go run errands. And the whole intent behind this vehicle is to replace as many of those trips as possible. Yeah, I would love that. I've got a grocery list for this afternoon. I'd love to <laughs> give it to Neuro and say, go to the grocery store. Here's what I need. But but where are we regulatory speaking? I mean, we, we are just starting to see, you know, runs by Cruise in San Francisco. We talked to a, a truck, um, Too Simple, uh, the other day who just did an 80-mile run by itself in Arizona. When are we expecting to actually see vehicles like yours on the roadways? So our second generation vehicle was was the first vehicle to ever get an exemption from the Department of Transportation to operate as a fully autonomous vehicle on public roads. And it's already done that in three different states, California, Arizona and Texas. This third generation vehicle we anticipate will comply with all federal regulations. So we really are excited about ramping this up and getting it into scaled commercial use uh, without having significant regulatory uh, hurdles in our future. And this is an electric vehicle? Yep, it's fully electric. Uh, it, one of the, the key parts of our culture and mission as a company is to really try to improve our communities. And part of that is very much the sustainability side. So this will be a fully electric vehicle. We also announced today, alongside this new vehicle, our first sustainability report, where we're committing to um, fully renewable energy for all of our operations going forwards. And that's just one of the steps that we're taking to try to do our part. 
No, it's very impressive. It's a lot of investment that you have to make to put into something that we've literally never had on the roads before. Would you say that 2022, that's the year it is, right? That this is likely to be the year that we will see it? Or are we talking maybe more 2023, 24, 25? Yeah, so this is a, a we're announcing it the first pre-production vehicle we actually have in our hands, and so we're going to be ramping that up. And and so really, this is the year where we iron out all the kinks and we launch our production. We we announced just late last year we've created two new facilities just outside of Vegas to do final end of line uh, production of these vehicles. And so this year, I wouldn't anticipate we see too many of them on roads, but certainly next year is when we really hope to be uh, ramping this up and scaling it out into communities. Fascinating. Well, please keep us posted, Dave. Uh, We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Dave Ferguson is Neuro's president and co-founder. And that does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.